Hello and welcome to Bootstrap, the podcast for software bootstrappers. If you are running a software company or looking to start one, then this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Steve McLeod. The following message is brought to you by Balsamic. Balsamic have decided to support the Bootstrap community by donating their sponsored airtime to some of our listeners. Today's guest sponsor is Vivid.fm. Podcasting is hard. Do you still have time left to promote your episodes after they are published? Vivid helps podcasters reach more subscribers via social sharing by automatically creating video teasers. Stop spending hours editing video clips to promote your latest podcast episode. Vivid does it for you without any manual effort. Vivid automatically picks the best segment of your show thanks to its smart algorithm. It's almost magical. Give it a try and see for yourself at vivid.fm. If you'd like to have your startup advertised on this podcast for free, courtesy of Balsamic, or receive a promo code for Balsamic, visit balsamic.com slash go slash bootstrapped. That's Balsamic with a Q. There is only one advertising spot left, so act fast. Hello, bootstrappers. Today, Ed Freifogel is with me again. Hey, Ed, how are you doing? I am struggling a bit, Steve, because yesterday was the day of Christmas parties. I went to two startup Christmas parties, one of which went long into the night. So um, I'm hurting a little. I'm not going to kid you. But that's all part of the fun. So how about you? To our audience, well, to our audience who will be listening to this in January, I have to admit we are recording this some weeks in advance. It is a few days before Christmas. Ed is not having Christmas parties in January, I hope. Well, if it's good once, then do it, do it again, you know. It's certainly a way to beat the, uh, the, the rush and the crowdedness is to put your Christmas parties off till January. But, but when in, in New Zealand, isn't it kind of weird that Christmas is in the summer? I've always, I've never... Only weird if you haven't grown up with it. For me, it's completely normal that Christmas days are long and warm and kids are running out on the street using their new toys, enjoying the long, warm days. Do people sing, I mean, are there like traditional Christmas carols, like White Christmas and things like that? Yeah, and you give people Christmas cards with pictures of villages covered in snow and so on. It's, it's absurd, actually. Huh. But for me, it was very strange to come to live in Europe, especially when I was living in Germany, and to find that there's nothing you can do in the Christmas period except stay inside and be warm and eat and watch Christmas TV and so on. It was not something I enjoyed for the first few years. How weird. How weird. All right. I guess I never really thought that one through, but huh. Yeah, of course you're supposed to stay inside at Christmas. You stay inside and eat cake and drink wine and gather around the old Christmas tree and sing songs and come on. And the old, the, the long July, August holidays that people have in Europe and North America for summer, we have them in January. So just before Christmas, the kids break up from, from school and they don't go back until February. Huh, okay. Well, I guess that makes sense, but... Best time of the year. Yeah. And 
Actually, I should mention now that my family is going to New Zealand on Christmas Day. We're going to be flying all the way there and we're going to be enjoying that New Zealand Christmas and the New Zealand summer. And then we'll be back in Europe for summer too. So we're doing the two summers a year thing at the moment. Endless summer. The beauty of bootstrapping and working remote. Indeed, indeed. Location independence, one of the key key benefits of the bootstrapping life. So, Actually, this is a good chance for me to make some news about the podcast. So I will be for two and a half months in New Zealand and Australia, all of January, all of February, half of March. And I'll be looking for people to interview who are in the right time zone. So if you're down under and you're bootstrapping and you think you have something interesting to say to other bootstrappers and you'd like to be interviewed on the podcast, please contact me via our discussion forum at discuss.bootstrapped.fm. There you can send me a DM and I don't know, perhaps you'll be a good fit. And that would be really, really helpful for me to have people who I can interview while it's daytime. And it could also be good for you, my listeners. I don't know. Um, did you see the news about MicroConf, Steve, that they're going to have a first MicroConf Asia? I don't know if that Asia or Australia or, or somewhere. I don't know. But not until 2021. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I've still got a year and, and more to wait for. I've still it. got a year. But they said um, they made the decision based on, you know, recruited, repeated requests from people um, to have something out there. So I guess there must be, I have to admit, I know nothing about the Asian bootstrapping scene, but there must be a scene. It could be those digital nomad types who gather in Bali and Philippines and Vietnam. Right. Yeah. Okay. I guess I do know about that. Yeah. Yeah. And Thailand to Chiang Mai. So uh, what's that podcast that's been going for years? Tropical, Tropical MBA. MBA. I think they have, I think they've had a few conventions or conferences in that part of the world. Yeah, they have their big thing in Bangkok. Um, I like that podcast. I listen to it uh, not every week, but, but quite frequently. Yeah, it's, those guys are stayers, right? They've been doing it for so long. Exactly, yeah. I, I tune in and out from time to time. It's, yeah, I keep it fresh and go and listen to new podcasts from occasionally. Not that our listeners would do that. Our listeners are loyal and they'll keep listening to every episode, I'm sure. I would hope so. Actually, one of my goals for over the Christmas break is to write a blog post about the podcast I've been listening to this year. Kind of. Uh, I wanted, one of my goals this year was to summarize, to keep track more of, of things I've been doing, like the books I've read or now the podcasts also I've been listening to. So, and then write blog posts about them so that I can look back later, but also so that I can share it with other people. So. Oh, sounds good. We'll put it in the show notes when it's ready. Hey, Ed, what's been happening in the world of Open Cage this last week? Well, obviously, it hasn't been entirely productive because of all the Christmas parties, but we are fully into planning for next year. So that includes um, a great Trello cleanout. So we use Trello. What is a great Trello cleanout? <laughs> well, a great Trello cleanout is when you, you we we use Trello kind of as our to do list. Um, every every both like active projects that we're working on, but also um, ideas that we have for projects. Um, and so that builds up, builds up, builds up. And now um, going through either anything that I can discard, discard, uh, get rid of things that are no longer valid, uh, potentially even do some of the things, some of the small tasks, um, but basically try to like, you know, clean everything up and reorganize it so that um, in early January, my co-founder and I are meeting in London and we're going to map out the exact tasks for the for the coming quarter. So get everything into a good shape for that. Um, so that that's probably the main task right now. Then the other thing is, um, you know, we talked last week about 
um, or I think it was two weeks ago about sending advisory email, an email to your advisors once a month. Um, and so normally that email, I do that every month, but it, and normally it's only one page. But at the end of the year, I do make it a lot longer. And we really look into some of the core, how we did over the year and the core issues around the business and what are the challenges for the coming year or whatever. So I started to gather a lot of the information for that. And Okay. That's the bumper edition of the uh, advisory email. Exactly. Exactly. So, hey, you mentioned that you're kind of a running part of your business via Trello. Well, that's how it sounded to me uh, that you know, the two of you uh, use Trello as a way to communicate to dos and so on. Yeah. And priorities. So, they used to say the number one competitor for a lot of uh, software products was a spreadsheet, Excel. But I think more and more, Trello is the big competitor, right? Because Trello is so flexible. You can do just about anything in it. Maybe not well, but. Certainly for us, it's a big competitor. I guess that could be. We probably use about 5% of the functionality of Trello. I don't feel like I'm a particularly sophisticated user of it. And then actually, when I go in there, they're always like, you know, little flashing things trying to tell me about, you know, I can get more karma or points or do this or that. And I'm like, get out of the way. Like, I'm just, it's just a place to store some notes. So, um, but it works well for that. Yeah. Exactly. So we have a couple, I don't know what did you even call them, but like, you know, the notes are in different columns. Uh, you know, one is like urgent, one is, you know, waiting on external thing. One is we, we, the different freelancers that we work with, different columns for the tasks that we've assigned to them. And that's how we organize our work, kind of. So what about you? You, you guys, I assume you use your own service. I would hope. <laughs> oh, I certainly hope so. Yeah, we use our own service, which uh, occasionally we do find people have come across from Trello to to use Feature Upvote. Uh, they were using Trello to keep track of customer suggestions. But but with Trello, that would I guess you can make a Trello board public, right? But I feel like yeah. my perception of Trello and your service is that they're kind of different things, right? Your your service is more about giving the business a way to collect the feedback of of their customers or external people, right? And have them yeah. rank them. And but I think that's slightly different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this people use Trello in all types of ways. It's designed to be very flexible, although really you hit limits in it pretty quickly. For example, if you want to make something public and allow the public to contribute, you need a way to moderate that and have a gateway and so on. And gotcha. And if you want to vote for things on Trello, there's a voting power up, I think is their terminology. But to be able to vote, you need to have an account that's got access to that board and yeah. Gotcha, yeah, yeah. And how are you going to administer that? Do you want the general public to have accounts and access to your board? All right. I think you're safe then. I don't Yeah. Uh, so what's new in your business, man? What have you been up to? We faced a technical problem recently, which I spent time solving today. Two of our most common or most popular features, it turned out they didn't play well with each other. That is custom domain names and single sign-on using this SAML standard. And amazingly, we've been offering both of those for a long time. Nobody actually used both of them together until I guess about a month or two ago. And we got stuck and I finally had to come up with a technical solution because out of coincidence, Customers were finding this out now, and we're actually on my back a bit about it. Huh. Yeah, single sign-on is so fiddly. We, oh, yeah. We allow sign-on via Google and via GitHub, 
And I remember it was just kind of, I didn't work on that, but it was kind of such a pain to set up and, and you're, it's hard to debug and it's hard to, it's kind of a nightmare, but people use it. So, so with single sign on this, this concept of, uh, I think it's identity provider. So that's like Google or Azure active directory or so on. The other ones that actually you have to connect to, and each one of them has their own interpretation of the standard All right some of them have obscure bugs such as ids can't start with a, a number or something like that and it's a headache and it's not much you can do in our situation except just work through them one by one well we also have the problem that customers or, or users will come to us they'll do single sign-on and then they come back like three months later and they don't remember who they signed on with or you know how do they they don't and you know and then they'll get all angry like why can't i log in and you're just like well you used to sign up you know it's it's kind of annoying yeah before us it was a killer feature we when we added it it really impacted on the type of customers we were getting we then started to get better bigger customers who pay more and stay longer and so on Hmm. And I think actually looking at our competitors, it's become a, a must-have. Right, right, gotcha. Yeah, wish we didn't have to do it, but we've done huh. it. Anyway, so were you able to fix this bug or no? Yeah, yeah, it, it involved cookies and we found some clever workaround. Oh, I don't know if it's clever or hacky. I think it's clever. Another programmer will look at it and say it's hacky, but it works. But it really raised this idea in my mind of how the importance of moving slowly when developing your your product and thinking like five years or 10 years that you don't have to get everything done now. You need time with each new feature for it just to percolate and any unusual problems to, to come out of the woodwork so you can deal with them without having to like find yourself stressed because you've got so many other things you're trying to do at the same time. It's why I like to move very slowly. Well, it's also something like that is also so difficult to test. And as you add more features, then it's like, how do you test every permutation of like, does the customer have feature A, but they don't have feature B, but then they do have feature C. And like, you know, you can have those bugs that only come about in some weird combination of features. It's annoying. It, yeah. And it's indeed every new feature you add can potentially conflict with every single thing you've already added in ways you didn't even think of. Even when you try to think about it carefully, there's things that just don't come out until it's gone live. Yeah. All right. Well, glad you solved it. Yeah, yeah. And actually, it was, it was nice. It was a nice feeling to get it done, but it did mean that I had to drop the other things that we wanted to get done by the end of the year. Hmm. Wow. But no big drama. Life, life ticks over. Hey, so should we move on to today's topic? Yeah, what are, you, what are we talking about today? Cancellation, letting people cancel with your service. This applies particularly to the subscription services most of us run in this day and age. Right. Yeah, it's a tricky topic. It's a tricky topic. It is a tricky yeah. topic. And I wanted to start with this uh, part of Dutch consumer law that I, I ran into. So it, to state specifically from a Dutch government website, consumers must be able to cancel their agreement or their subscription in exactly the same way as they signed up for them. Now, that's Dutch law and it pertains to consumer-oriented products, not B2B, and there's no way it can be enforced by the Dutch government on us in other countries, but I actually like the spirit of it. What do you think, Ed? Well, I like the spirit of it as well. Obviously, as a consumer, you want to be able to cancel whenever you want. 
you know, for whatever reason you want and ideally get a full refund, you know, get a refund for the unused portion of the product. There's nothing worse than when you're somehow trapped in some kind of subscription or relationship. Um, uh, I guess I, I, I do like the spirit of that Dutch law. I guess one thing that's problematic, though, is when you're offering an international service, if every country has their own different rules, that's that can be a little painful, of course. So I guess I would I would prefer if they have some sort of you know standard. But I think the standard in SaaS, you know, now and now nowadays more and more services kind of operate on this ethos of of course you can cancel whenever you want, and of course we'll give you a refund if you're unhappy. Um, I think every serious operator I know in SaaS that's the policy they follow. How do you guys handle it on your on your service? I use that concept do unto others. I keep saying that in episodes, uh, treat other people as you want to be treated. When I want to stop using a service, I want to be able to stop today. I want to be sure that they're not going to try and keep charging me or make it difficult. So I try to do that to other people. Having said that, I haven't quite got it where we want. We don't yet allow people to cancel completely automated. They do have the right to us. That's more laziness on my part than any type of contempt for customers. Yeah, that's the thing. As the operator of a service, I mean, so I can I can describe how we do it. Um, so we, our, our users have, our customers can either be on a monthly subscription or an annual subscription. And it's very easy to cancel. You know, there's a button in your dashboard that you can cancel whenever you want. At that point, though, we do ask you, why are you canceling? And um, not because we're trying to change your mind or anything. It's just we want to learn why you're canceling. You know, we talked about this a bit in previous episodes, but there's there's nothing. Is that optional? Uh, it is optional. It is optional. And unfortunately, only about half of people tell us why they're canceling, um, which is very annoying because it makes a big difference. Are you canceling because you no longer need it or you're going out of business or some sort of involuntary reason? Or is it that you're canceling because you're unhappy with our service or, or something like that? We do sometimes get very good feedback from people. Usually people just say things like, oh, I don't need it anymore, which you never know. It's like, are they telling the truth? Or, you know, in some cultures, people are scared to tell you uh, bad things about your service or whatever. We, we do have some people who do tell us bad things about our service. And then once they're canceled, well, the, our policy that we publish is, you know, you can cancel whenever you want and your subscription will then eventually run out at the end of your billing period um, and, and then you're done and we don't bill you again, but you can keep using it till the end of the billing period. We often have people who they get billed, they get a notification that they've been billed um, and then they then immediately they come and try to cancel. Right. And in those cases, we always give a refund if we can see that they haven't if they haven't used the service, we always give a refund, of course. Okay, without them having to ask for it? Uh, some people do ask some, yeah, usually without them asking for it. it oh, that's very noble. Yeah, well, it's it's more like I want to keep them happy in the chance that they come back and that they tell others. Um, the hard part comes when I can see they have been using the service, right? Or sometimes you have people who have been, let's say, you know, they're on a monthly contract and then they, a week into the month or something, they want to say they want to cancel, but they have been using the service. So, you know, what do you do in that case? Do you give them a prorated refund? Do you refund the whole month? Do you do you tell them no refund? It's tricky. What do, you, what do you typically choose to do? It depends what they ask for. It depends also what, you know, how heavily were they using the service? Um, our service is actually quite generous in the sense that you have, we, we have what we call soft limits, but you can go over your limit. 
Um, you know, so so on the one hand, I'm super generous to people in that direction. Um, on the other, it, you know, but then I guess I would ask is that if you're going over your limit and you you have been going over the limit in the past, then you know I can't give you a full refund if you've been using the service. So um, how often would that situation happen? Once a year? Once a month? Once every six months? It's not frequent. Yeah, it's very rare. So this isn't something, you know, we kind of play it by ear. We, you know, based on how long have they been a customer or things like that. Um, I prefer to say, like, have the refund, be done with it, like, move on. You know, if it's going to cost me 20 or 50 or $100 out of our revenue, I, I just don't want to have to deal with the, the hassle and the antagonism. Yeah, yeah, we default to that as well, giving people the refund. One question. So in our service, you know, you just stop using it, right? But in your service, they presumably, you know, they've been posting all kinds of things inside your service. People have been voting on them or whatever. Do you give them a way to export their data? Yes. In fact, maybe this is a chance for me to describe exactly what we do. I've prepared it in advance. Yeah, please, please. So our billing page has a cancel link. And that says exactly what happens when you cancel. And the same information is also in our user docs. Uh, it says that they must write to us from an email address that has account admin privileges, just to make sure that nobody's tricking us into canceling a competitor. All right. Yeah. I then manually and I then manually and immediately cancel the account, leaving it active until the current subscription runs out. And I send a standard reply which says the following. I've set your account to cancel at the end of your current subscription period on, and then I put in the exact date, yeah. your card won't be charged again. That's a really important text for a lot of people, especially if the, you know, if the money's tight. Sure, sure. This is what they really want to know. Continuing, you'll be able to sign into your dashboard and view and export your data for three months after the cancellation date. After three months, we'll completely delete your data. So that answers the question you just had, Ed. All oh, right, yeah. So that's quite a quite a good policy. That's very generous. And once or twice, somebody's actually come in during that three month period and reactivated their account. Huh. But the email continues. It was a pleasure to have had you as a customer. Cost me nothing to write that. And hey, they were giving me money. Of course, it was a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I have a quick question. I hope your answer to help make feature upvote better. What made you cancel? Regards, blah blah blah. And how many of them? How many of them then reply and tell you what made them cancel? I'm going to guess that it's about fifty percent answer. All right. And almost everyone says the same. Great product, but don't need it anymore. A few do say it didn't meet our needs, and we've moved to a different product. In that case, I'll, I'll even ask them. I'll write again. Thanks for this to help us to you know know what's happening. Would you mind telling us what product it was and what they did that we don't do? And, you know, people, right, they actually tell me, especially Germans. Germans are great for, uh, I think, culturally, they don't mind this type of interaction. They give you very direct feedback. <laughs> you know, one thing we have thought about doing is now that we've been going for a while, we know the common reasons of why people cancel, or at least the common reasons why they tell us they're canceling. So maybe when they click on cancel, maybe we have debated, should I send them to a page where they kind of, you know, have a multiple choice of the most common reasons? Um, and then also, also with the option to leave a comment and if they want to, if it's a reason that doesn't fit that. Um, but we haven't implemented that yet. I guess maybe I've been hoping that we don't won't have enough cancellation to justify this. Yeah, yeah. This, but something about asking people in that situation for data is you're never going to get a hundred percent honesty. Yeah, it's that old problem of observing what people do versus 
listening to what people tell you they do. The, the two just don't match up. Even when people think they're telling you the truth, often there was something else subconsciously going on. Yeah, sure, sure. So, yeah, you're never going to get 100% accurate data and if 50% are already answering you, I think you said half answer you, right? Yeah, I mean, I that includes people. pretty good. Yeah, but a lot of those are just a two-line, you know, people like don't need it, right? And they, you're like, all right, fine. Yeah. Um, what can you do with that? Why don't they need it? One question. Have you, one of my goals for next year is to try to reactivate former customers, you know, to have an, have some kind of email sequence where I chase them up and say, you know, you stopped using our service six months ago, just checking in to see if you still have any geocoding needs or anything like that. Have you ever done any that type of campaign at all? I haven't. We don't have enough customers for us to get any meaningful data if we tried to do that, I think. When you look at the percentage you cancel and then the percentage of those who would actually be likely to respond, I, I think we'd be hard-pressed to find any value in it at the moment. It'd be interesting if you try it to hear how it goes. In your case, some of your customers can be very valuable, right? You have some customers who are giving you many hundreds of dollars a month. Yeah, sure. Or paying you. Yeah. So in that case, you only need one person to rejoin after a few months for it to be way worth the effort absolutely well on the other hand i also don't want to like so so yes it could be very lucrative i also don't want to like spam people though and you know how them if they don't need it they don't need it that was kind of why i mean one idea i had was you know could we somehow tag former customers with you know whether it was voluntary churn or involuntary churn so the one and then and then use that to adapt the message and the, and the frequency with which we reapproach them or because you know if someone says okay. like uh, you know i'm quitting because you you don't have feature x and then three mm -hmm. months later i add feature x then it seems perfectly yeah. logical that i should contact them and say hey we launched it you know we, we i think we can solve your problem now is it though Probably they've already chosen somebody else and they're not going to want to switch from that person unless there's a real problem with them. I think it's more likely to work if somebody says, hey, the project was delayed, so we don't need you for now, or something that suggests that their needs have been postponed. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. This is just one idea I have because we actually have, well, we, you know, we have a lot of we've been going for like five years now so we have a lot of people who have used the service at some point and um i don't know is there a way i think i, I remember once i i heard someone say you know the the easiest customer to get is the guy who's already been your customer right yeah so if yeah. you can reactivate that guy somehow um and you don't know maybe they do need it you don't know until you try i wonder how many customers you get from people who have used your service with one employer and then they move to another employer yeah we we have had several of those actually which I've, I've just you know sometimes they tell you or you you recognize the name or whatever but yeah of course that's great that's fantastic but i've also thought about is there you know could you give these people incentives like uh, as a former customer here's a coupon for 10 percent off if you ever want to come back or things like that okay um, okay uh, interesting whether it work. I'm of a mixed mind about coupons. I think they can be very helpful, but they can also devalue your service a bit and make people think, oh, there's coupons. I must always look for a coupon before I uh, sign up. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's a double-edged sword. But um, I don't know. I, I think in the coming year, we can do more experiments around this type of stuff. This is so. one of the nice things when your business gets to a certain level is that you can start experimenting with this. Once you've got the basics in place of getting customers to try you and buy you and stay with you.
One other question, Steve. I mean, so we also, in our terms and conditions, we reserve the right that we can cancel a customer subscription at any time. You know, if we deem that their behavior is abusive or something, um, you know, they're they're overusing the service or something. We haven't ever actually done that. But what we say in that case is that if we cancel your subscription, we'll give you a refund for the, the remaining time on the subscription, of course. But I'm wondering, have you ever had situations where you've had to cancel a customer for, for some reason? Or? No, uh, not a paying customer. I've had to delete a few trial customers who are clearly abusing our, our service, hmm. usually by trying to do phishing or uh, similar types of things. All right. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I, I, terms and conditions probably state that we can do that, but I hope I never have to enforce it. Certainly, if that did happen, I would be just tempted again to just refund the entire payment, uh, most recent payment, and be done with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, these are the things you have to think about, right? As soon as you have some public service, there there is a chance somebody is really going to be a horrible customer. Yeah, whether it, it, intentionally or unintentionally, you know, like in our service, you know, people people sometimes their software is bad, so they're they're just you know blasting away at our servers, usually in an error, but but you never know. Yeah. So. Well, I have had to put in throttling due to. Not our customers misbehaving, but their customers misbehaving who figured they could write a script to manipulate the voting so that their thing would race to the top. Oh, right. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've got actually tons of stuff like, well, not tons. We've got a few measures like that in our software, and we don't tell people the mechanics of it because we want it to be a zero-configuration service, but we do make sure in our marketing material we tell people Use us and you don't need to worry about spammers. You don't need to worry about um, people, people um, brigading. Or, yeah, because we have things in place to stop that. Occasionally people have written and said, oh, we've, we've noticed that the voting hasn't gone up as much as we expected. What's going on there? And we tell them we have these measures in place. Would you like us to disable them? And occasionally people have said yes, and then a day later they write and say, actually, could you re-enable that protection? <laughs> They've realized what service, what they're actually getting. I think it's great value for money what we're giving people there. Yeah. So what's, so what's our overall conclusion on, on cancellation? I guess you should, for me, of course, people should always be able to cancel whenever they want. We tend to err towards you know, being overly generous on refunding. Like Unless someone has been using the service heavily, and then add claims they want to refund, you know, then I would. Yeah. It's the beauty of a SaaS. You lose one month or if it's a yearly subscription, you lose one year's revenue. But this enables you to treat everybody else well. It enables you to say in your uh, marketing material and your sign-up page that they can cancel at any time, yada, yada, yada. And why do you, but why do you not, why do you, have you not automated it yet? You just haven't gotten around to it or just because? Yeah. When I started Feature Upvote, I had just read this this guide, the Epic Guide to Bootstrapping or something by a guy called Clifford, 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 I forget his surname. And he his ethos was that don't implement something until you need it. Like don't even give people a way to sign up to become a paying customer until you've you know, started your service and you've actually got enough people using it on a trial basis, et cetera, et cetera. And this sounded great. So one of the things I didn't bother implementing was cancellation. And then the first time somebody asked to cancel, I then worked out a manual procedure thinking I'll soon automate this. And now two and a half years have passed since we turned on payments and I still haven't done it. 
and I really want to do it. And it was something I intended to do in December. December has got away from me, maybe in January. And then I will fully automate it uh, so that people can just click a button. They'll be told, like, do you really want to do this? Uh, there's no going back, et cetera, et cetera. And then, yeah, it'll be done. Okay. I'll monitor it. And if I find that something's not working with that, then maybe I go back to the manual procedure for a few months. Yeah, I, I agree with that strategy of don't implement anything until you actually need it. And first do it manually so you can learn the exact process and see the edge cases and stuff. It is always tricky writing code that does irreversible things like, you know, deleting an account yeah. or whatever. I guess in your case, it's not, it's not, I mean, so like when we delete someone, we, we don't actually delete them. We, for, for like a one week period, we've just kind of changed their username so that, so that if we had to, we would have a window of opportunity to bring them back. But then after a week we do actually delete them. But I think we picked three months because it was a nice balance between privacy laws and the ability for people to rescue. Occasionally someone's actually said, no, delete all my data now. So it's like, okay, we'll delete your data now. Like I have a button to do that on our dashboard, on our internal dashboard. Right, right. Okay. Any other okay. any other closing insights on cancellation? No, that's describe what we do, what you do and I do. I have no particular deep insights, but it is something people need to think about. And I'd love to hear from anybody, any of our listeners, if you've if you have a different opinion on how to go about cancellation as a subscriber to a SaaS service or as a person operating a SaaS service or another subscription service, please tell us on our forum at discuss.bootstrapped.fm. Listeners, yeah, anything else you'd also like to discuss, please go there and join the conversation. Otherwise, I think that's all we have time for today, Ed. I think so. Well, enjoy your trip to New Zealand and, you know, looking forward to a great 2020. I guess the next episode we record together, there's going to be an enormous time lag or lag between me and you as we're on other sides of the world. Have a good journey, Steve. Thank you. Great Christmas to you, although it is January when people are listening. Okay, bye, Ed. Bye. Bye, everybody. That concludes this episode of Bootstrapped. You can discuss this episode and other bootstrapping topics on our forums at discuss.bootstrapped.fm. Until next episode, goodbye.